Good morning. Welcome to Portico Church Arlington, everyone. My name is Jason Connor, lead pastor here. We're so glad that you've joined us today, even as we live stream worship. Um, maybe you have logged in today and you don't even go to Portico Church. We just want to acknowledge you and thank you for being with us today as we worship. Uh, if you have your Bible, uh, grab Romans 6. We're going to be walking through Romans 6 today, the first 11 verses, as we continue in our series called Jesus Paid It All. So what we're doing is we want to have uh, clarity on what it means that Jesus both died for us and he rose. We say this a lot, you know, the gospel or Jesus had died for me. What does that mean? So we're, we're taking this deep dive on this idea of understanding what Jesus did in his death and in his resurrection. So last week, uh, we looked at the death of Jesus, how it bears the weight of our sin, how it deals effectively with our guilt, how it even removes the stain of our sin in ways we could never hope to do on our own. And today, as we jump into the text, we're going to look at this aspect of power. So how does Jesus, how does, when we, we can commit ourselves, how, when we rest in him, as we place the weight of our life on him, which is called faith, as we do this, there's a transaction that happens, yes, but also we begin to experience a power. So how does the death of Jesus free us from the power of the sin? We're going we're gonna to look at that today. We want to understand that effectively. And I'll just be honest with you, I, I was thinking as I was preparing for this uh, sermon series uh, this last week, I'm like, ah, we don't, we don't need to do this. Maybe we should talk about anxiety. Maybe we should talk about um, fear. And here's what the Lord continued to impress upon me. This foundation of understanding what it means to belong to God entirely, the fact that he has dealt with our sin and given us a foundation of righteousness, restored our relationship with him in real time, this is the foundation of everything that we need, right? This, this will be the peace that we have in good times, in bad times. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, just understand, we, when we know this in a new way, everything that you have right now, we've learned very quickly, can be taken from you, very quickly. Whether it's your peace, whether it's your job, um, relationship, even gathering together. It can leave in an instant. So we need a peace that is not inherent in us. We need a peace that, that goes beyond us. And the apex of that is all that Jesus has accomplished in his life, death, resurrection, and continues his ongoing work now. So let's dive into that and understand what this means. So as I jump into the text, um, I just want to give you a heads up. We're going to answer three questions today. So we're, we're going to expound on through Romans 6. What does it mean that the death of Jesus has released me from the power of sin, freed me from that? And we'll just organize our text today in three questions. The first question is this, um, what does the power of sin do? We have to understand that if we're going to be freed from it. And secondly, how does Jesus free us from that power? We need to understand that. And lastly, how do we experience that power? How do we experience that freedom from sin in our lives in real time. So uh, we will walk through those three questions together. But before we jump in, uh, would you just pray with me, and then we'll dive into our text. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much uh, that you don't leave us. No matter how isolated we are, no matter how scattered we are, 
no matter how lonely we are, you are on station with us. You have poured out your spirit. You are interceding for your church even now worldwide. So we thank you for that. So as we open up your word today, would you be with us? Would you open up this word that we might behold its treasure and its beauty, that we might be forever changed? So we count on you for this, Lord. Would you, would you even pour your spirit out to the to scattered church today as we gather in this strange way? So we commit this time to you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Great. So I'm going to read the text for you. I think it's even going to be up on the screen for you. This is Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. Now, as we're reading this, remember, we're understanding how the death of Jesus has freed us from the power of sin. So I want you to focus on one word here. We're not going to be able to, to, to talk about every single thing that you see in verses 1 through 11. There's a lot of goodness here. We want to understand what Jesus did to free us from sin. So watch for this one word, death. It happens like 12 times just in the text that we're going through. Uh, so let's, let's understand that. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, hear this logic, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Why? For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the death of Jesus does the work of freeing you and I from the power of sin. So let's answer that first question. What does the power of sin actually do? Well, before we get into the text, I want you to feel sin. I want you to feel the power of sin because it brings a dynamic into our life. And it feels like this. It feels like a yo-yo. Either you are, are somewhere between purpose and pride and you're feeling good about yourself, if you're living up to what you would consider what is good in life, or when that doesn't work out, you feel despair and hopelessness. Everybody has a law that they live by, whether it's the law of God, the moral law of God, as a Christian would, would want to do, or even if it's an atheist. Everybody has an idea of what makes life good and how you should live your life. So when you are living up to your standards, your beliefs, your aspirations, you will walk into... Um, what I would call just a, 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 a false pride. You believe you're doing well. You believe you have earned righteousness. You believe that you're doing better than other people. You feel good about yourself. When that doesn't work out, when that slips, and it always does, when your success slips, you feel the sting of despair. You wonder, who are I? Like, who am I? 
am, am I the person I think I am? I say these things about myself. I say these things about how you should live, yet I myself don't live up to them. So it feels like a yo-yo. It really does. Um, here's why. You can change your behavior. And if you have a good willpower and a strong personality, you can be pretty good at that. You can change your behavior, but you cannot change your nature. Can't do it. Scripture calls that your heart. You, you yourself, by your own willpower, cannot forge a new heart. You can't do it. So as we're on this yo-yo between behavior, doing well, and slipping into despair, we understand that is how the power of sin operates. You measure your life completely by law, how you're adhering to what you believe. So what does the power of sin do? Um, first, it, it blinds you. Like we said last week, it blinds you to the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, all have sinned, yes, and fall short of the glory of God, but the free gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus. So we are blinded to God's glory. We don't want it. We want to find heaven here. We want to find something good here that we can build our lives on. We don't love his glory. We don't want to reflect it. So it blinds us to that. Secondly, it binds us to sin. It binds us to the law. As we saw, outside of Christ, we are struggling to live a life that matters based on our behavior, based on how well we are doing according to what we think is good, or even to God's law, trying to live up to it in our own power. So the power of sin binds you to that. It's the only measure that you have. At the end of the day, you either lived up to your own standards or to God's standards, or you did not, period. It's one or the other. So it blinds us to his glory. It binds us to that. And in the end, it finally separates you. The power of sin will separate you from everything that you love. Again, back to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So you can think of death as a cascading um, just series of separations. We're separated from God fundamentally in relationship. Uh, we experience a spiritual death. We, we will experience a, a physical death. Like that, that happens. Like n nobody's going to get out of that. And lastly, we experience outside of Christ, we experience a spiritual death. So these, this is the power of sin at work in our lives. You don't, it, it's going to work in a Christian's life. We'll even see that work there because there's still the influence of sin. Or everybody, everybody feels this and understands what it means to have the power of sin influence us both internally and externally. Um, so to sum it up, what does the power of sin do? It rules you. It owns you, period. Um, I remember as a kid, I once in a while got to play with my cousin, and maybe I was, I think I was about six years old, and we were in the sandbox, and I don't know why, I, well, I kind of know why I did it. Uh, I'm not going to bring that up. But out of the blue, I just stood up, I grabbed a handful of sand, and I just threw it in his face. And he was just sitting there. And he really irritated me. I'm just going to tell you that. There's no justification for it, but like, I, even as I remember it, there's probably a reason I did that. But then my mom, like, you know, she gets the sand out of his face, and she shits me down, right? You know, it's coming to me, right? But before she does anything, she says, why'd you do it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, th there's something else going on here. I didn't want to do it, but I wanted to do it. Um, sin rules you. So what does the power of sin do? It rules you. So how does the death of Jesus save us? Before we even get there, how are you doing at saving yourself? Maybe you're not throwing sand in your cousin's face. Maybe you are. But how are you doing at saving yourself? When you even 
measure yourself up. Forget about God's law for a minute. Do you even measure yourself up to what you say is good? Do you even reach it? How are you doing at saving yourself? See, it's, it's not going to happen. We, we have no ability to save ourselves. So how does the death of Jesus, how does his death release you from the freedom or from the power of sin? How does he bring us freedom? This is what we want to understand. Well, in a few ways. Um, first of all, the death of Jesus frees us from the power of sin through his life. So we focus on the cross, and that's important. But the cross doesn't mean anything without the life of Jesus. We have to understand um, that his loving, faithful obedience to God for you also belongs to you. His life measured up to God's law. This is so, so important. Um, faithful obedience. And Jesus even said it as much in Matthew 5, 17. Uh, he was having a dispute about the law with some religious leaders. He said, hey, just to be clear, and he's preaching, uh, he's teaching um, on the Sermon on the Mount. So he's taking God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, and pushing it even further into heart obedience. And he tells the religious leaders, hey, just so we're clear, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Now, he fulfills it in several ways. First, he is the promised Messiah that, that comes, right? The son of David that comes to redeem, but also he himself obeyed the law from his heart. So we get that. His righteousness, one of the ways he frees us from the power of sin, frees you, is that his rightness or his adherence to the law, and it's from the heart, his love for God, his righteousness, that is on your account in faith. We get that. Um, I used to have a paper out as a kid. It was my first job. I was like maybe 15 or 16. And let's just, uh, I had a promise, right? I promised the people that received the paper. I would get up early, like 4.30 in the morning. I would fold the paper, put the rubber band on it. This was back when we had papers, and I would throw it on your doorstep. Well, usually by the weekend, I was way too tired to get up and do it. So this is what my dad would do. Um, God bless him. He would get my papers, fold them, put them in my sacks, and then load them in the pickup truck, wake me up, give me coffee, drag me out of bed at five in the morning, stick me in the back of his pickup, and say, let's go deliver your papers. And all I had to do is throw the paper out of the back of the truck onto the porch, um, which he even did half of that. So the simple fact is, his, the success of my paper route, usually on Saturday mornings, and especially on Sundays, was on his obedience. It was his work that was actually getting the job done. This is the same way the life of Christ belongs to us in righteousness. So he saves us from the power of sin first by his life, secondly by his death. Um, you have to understand the death of Jesus is, is payment, like we learned last week, but he's taking you somewhere. He's removing you. So it's relocating us out of, as Colossians says, the dominion of darkness and into and transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This happens through the death of Jesus. And this is where this text is really going. As, as the, the logic here is, how can we live in sin when we've already died to it? The idea of death here is you have become worthless, not alive to the kingdom of darkness. You don't resonate to that. It doesn't set the logic in your life anymore. Think of Exodus, when God delivers Israel out of Egypt. He didn't leave him there. He takes him, right? The, on the Passover, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, uh, the reaper comes through, and then Israel is taken out away from Egypt 
to God himself. So the death of Jesus is also about relocating you out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. So on the cross, understand in this death, just looking closely at it, Jesus is taking on and experiencing in real time in his body um, the results of our life, our sin. He experiences that. And it proves that, yes, God's law is good, but also we aren't. So we need him to do that for us. So he experiences real death. And verse 9 says this. I love this. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Why is that? Because he was sinless. No longer, death no longer has a claim on him because he didn't sin. That is so important. We Listen, sin no longer has dominion over us because we are in Christ. He takes us with him through faith. So he delivers us by his life. Yes, gives us his righteousness, delivers us by his death because he's sinless. We experience judgment in Christ. And lastly, through victory. Now, the text uses the idea of baptism because this is so illustrative. It's so good. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Why doesn't it say to his life? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be better to say, hey, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized were baptized into the life of Christ? When I first read this as a young Christian, I was like, wait wait a minute. What does that even mean? It means this. In Christ, through faith, you experience judgment. You experience judgment. You are like baptism, buried with him under the water, your sin judged in Christ and raised in newness of life. Friends, there is no other freedom from sin. This is it. We are judged in Christ through the water. We come back new. So whereas the power of sin makes death your ultimate enemy, it's the end of everything. It is separation. God, and this is just like God, he takes death and makes it your open door to freedom. Do you see that? This is just like God. He takes the very thing that sin has on everyone, the end is death, and he makes that the open door to life. We are judged with him, and we come out new. So this is how how the death of Jesus frees us from the power of sin. So how do you experience that? How do you experience that? Well, first is unification. Let's see what verses 5 through 7 say. It says, uh, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Here's what you don't need. You don't need more information. Information about sin, information about the gospel is not going to help you just left in the realm of information. You need unification. You need to be with Christ in this. You need his death to be yours. You need his life to be yours. Have you ever walked into a hardware store and you needed just one bolt to complete a project? And if you walk into some hardware stores, you say, hey, wh- where can I find this bolt? Maybe at an information desk. 
and they might look up something and say, yeah, it's over there on aisle 412, and it's on the top shelf, and off you go. You're left on your own to figure it out. In small hardware stores, like the one in my neighborhood, they take the bolt out of your hand, and they say, follow me. And they take you right to the shelf where it is, and they say, here's the bolt, but what are you trying to do? And you explain it to them. They say, that's probably dumb. Do it this way. Here's a better way to do that. So they take, you, they take your problems on their self. That's unification. That is what Christ has done. So we get that through faith. When we commit our lives completely to him, we let the weight of our life rest on him. We are unified with him. His death becomes our death, judgment paid, and his life becomes ours. So first, through unification. Um, and God, know this, God is accepting you not based on your goodness, not based on your works, but on the life and the work of Christ. He's accepting you that way. There, that is power. That is full freedom. So first by unification, um, secondly by celebration. The text says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So one of the ways we experience this in real time, aside from the unifying faith that we have in Jesus, is through celebration. We are actually celebrating this fact that, there is, that his death is our victory that we are unified with him in a death like his, and we will be unified in a resurrection like his. So in your relationship with Christ, here's what that means. Your relationship with sin is irreversibly broken. It's damaged beyond all repair. So being dead to sin and alive to God means that you're basically worthless to the kingdom of darkness. Do you have influence? Yes. Do you still sin? Yes. Do you struggle with desire? Yes. Do you still yourself sin? Yes. But it's been judged. You've been raised to newness of life. The worst thing that could ever happen to you has happened to you on the cross. So we celebrate that. That has to become real and new every day, every day. This is why we worship. This is why we gather as the church together, partly to be reminded of what Christ has done. So celebrating that um, just listen, dead people don't sin. That's the idea in the text, that the salvation of Christ is so real that your departure from the kingdom of darkness is so real, you're dead. You, you don't operate in that realm anymore. You are alive to God alone. If you try to renovate your life in your own power outside of Christ, you know it always ends up in despair. So the last part's mortification. And this is what the text is calling us to do. In other words, be alive to God. Um, many times when we're coming to Christ, we want to negotiate. We want to say, well, this is what I'm willing to give to God, but I'm going to hold this part of my life on my own. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jesus gives himself all, experiences death completely, full resurrection, glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father. We are called to put our entire life, everything, on him. This is death to self. This is where you get to the place where you're like, you know what? I'm willing to trust you, Jesus, completely for everything. That is your freedom. That is your ticket out, friend. This is what Jesus wants for you, and this is what he gives to you. This is where your freedom lies. Here's how you get off the yo-yo of false pride, doing well, and then slipping into despair. Here's how you get off that yo-yo. You have to understand that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He didn't. Jesus came to make dead people live. 
That's it. This is why Jesus has come. As 1 Peter 2, 24 says, he himself in his body bore our sins on the tree, that is on the cross, that we might die to sin and live, hear that, live to righteousness. It's by his wounds we have been, past tense, healed. Listen, Jesus was bound to the cross in his real body for you so that you might be freed in your body now from the tyranny and the power of sin. And yes, it's a fight. It's a fight, but your victory is absolutely insured and guaranteed in him. Do you see that? In him. You will not win this on your own. In him. This is it. This is where you find your peace. This, God gives us the power to live and to serve and even die for him. This is where the freedom is. Yes, the death of Jesus frees you, frees me from the power of sin. Give yourself to him. Give yourself to him. This is, this is salvation. This is what he came for. Don't wait on that. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you don't just teach us how to live. You don't give us an instruction manual on what we've done wrong and what we should do right. You don't expect us to find a way to save ourselves. You yourself bear our sin. You yourself give us your life. You have secured victory. You have released us from the tyranny of sin. You have transferred us out of the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Lord, my prayer is even now, even as we're separated from one another, that that truth of the gospel, that you have freed us from the power of sin, would become so real to us, Lord, that it would just make us giddy, that it would give us joy, and that we would just get off the yo-yo of trying to obey in our own power, that we would find our righteousness in you and in you alone. And we all lift this up together, even as we're scattered, in the name of Jesus. Amen.